and uh, turn with me to Mark, Mark chapter uh, 12, uh, reading from verse 1 down to verse 12. So the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 12. And I'm reading from the New King James. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it, dug a place for the wine vet and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine vet, vet dressers and went to a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another and him they killed, and many others beating some, killing others, killing some. Therefore still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him last, saying, they will respect my son. But these vine dressers said amongst themselves, this is the hare. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes and they sought to lay hands on him but feared the multitude for they knew he had spoken the parable against them so they left him and went away may the lord bless the reading of his holy word this morning. So this parable that we have, uh, now that we're into chapter 12, continues the confrontation and the dialogue that the Lord is having in the temple precincts with the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. And as you might recall from the previous message, when we, we did that last section in chapter 11, where Jesus is putting questions to the, uh, 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 the, the religious leaders and they're not able to, to answer. Uh, and he's, he's, one, he's a step ahead of them. Here again, we say that, see the same thing, only this time Jesus is using a parable. So there's a, there's we can imagine there's there's the religious leaders and there's there's others around the disciples they're all hearing Jesus tell the, this parable 
and this is what we're going to consider uh, this morning. And there's some key words that I want to focus in on. And what I want to, to leave with you is one key word, and that key word is marvellous. And that's right at the end of the, the, the Old Testament quotation that Jesus gives after he has given the, uh, the parable, the word marvellous. And we can think of other uh, superlatives or, or words like it, like wonderful. And of course, these are words that we use when we describe the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of scripture is, in a sense, Christ exalted. But this is a very Christ-exalting passage that we have here in this parable. And the fact that the, that the Lord uh, uses this, this, uh, this quote from the book of Psalms. Matthew Henry has uh, this to say, referring to the psalm that this is from. And I think it's a, a wonderful statement. And so... Uh, uh, just listen to, to, to what he has to say. Christ's name is wonderful. And the redemption he wrought out is the most amazing of all of God's works of wonder. It's what the angels desire to look into. And it will be admiring to eternity. Much more all we to admire it. Who owe our all to it. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So Jesus, uh, his name is wonderful. Jesus himself is wonderful. And all the truth about Jesus is, is marvelous. It's, it should be marvelous in our hearing. And that's uh, really the sentiment. And that's really the, if you want, the, the, the gut reaction I want us to have this morning that jesus our lord jesus our savior is marvelous all the truth about the lord jesus christ is marvelous he is wonderful so if that's if if you're going to take away anything today i hope that is what you will take away and that will feed your souls and and that uh, you'll be excited and enthralled with the Lord Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Now, I, as I was preparing this, I think we sang it the other week, uh, but I'm going to just read some words from it. I did think maybe I should have contacted Easton about this one, but uh, it's, I stand in the, in the amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And this hymn really sort of came to me as I was kind of, um, thinking through and, 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 and doing my preparation for this, this message. Uh, and that, that's a, a very fitting hymn, isn't it? This morning, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and clean. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me and that's that's the wonderful truth that's the, the the pinnacle if you like of of what we're looking at today 
that uh, the truth about Jesus Christ is marvelous because he is wonderful and because of his great love for sinners like you and I, that he came into the world and he fulfilled all those prophecies of, of, of many centuries before, of prophets and servants of God looking forward to the coming of God's Messiah, of, of the, 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 the Savior who will redeem sinners and it is marvelous and that's that's hope that it it really encourages us and really uh, uh be exhorted this morning to to worship our great god and savior this morning so i'm going to make some observations as we we look at this this parable and uh one of the things that we notice is that uh, uh the, the vine and the vineyard are pictures of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, in the last chapter, just a, a while back, we were thinking about the fig tree. And so we were thinking about Jesus using that picture illustration of the fig tree, the barren fig tree, and how that relates to the Old Testament and how that, that could be a picture of, of Israel and particularly the spiritual leadership in israel and we've got fig trees now we've got grapes and vines uh, as uh, old testament pictures of israel so that's that's one thing that we notice we notice that there are principally three players in this scene that jesus presents uh to his listeners and presents to us there's three sets of of uh, players in this drama so there's the owner himself there are the vine dressers or as luke puts it tenant farmers because that's in a sense what they were or caretakers and then the son the son of the owner or the, the lord of the vineyard and it would be a very relevant uh and very apposite uh, illustration for Jesus to use because Israel was full of vineyards and as you know we we, we think back into uh, the Old Testament and then we, we read the Gospels we see vineyards uh, time and time again we can think in the Old Testament when we were looking at the ministry of Elijah we can think of Naboth's uh, vineyard uh, and that that whole story so vineyards is something that's very uh relevant for jesus's hearers it's something that it was very commonplace his hearers would know about vineyards they'd know people who own vineyards or people who might have been tenant farmers themselves who were in a sense that was their job they were caretakers of somebody's vineyard so it, it was a very relevant illustration for Jesus to use. And it would be true today, because if you go to the land of Israel, the state of Israel, um, it's a wine producing uh, country. And there are, there are vineyards to this day in Israel. It's, it's, its land is very suitable for growing uh, vines. It's a familiar sight. So familiar site, very relevant picture, uh, and vines and vineyards were pictures of Israel, the nation of Israel, 
in the Old Testament. So if you want to turn with me, you can turn with me to, to two passages I'd like to, to, to read with you. And uh, we can turn to Psalm 80. Psalm 80 and verses 8 to 16. So Psalm 80 verses 8 to 16 is, is speaking about how the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt and how the psalmist is putting it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is like he's taking out a vine and planting it as a vineyard. So here it, it says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar of the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see have regard for this vine, the stock your right hand has planted, and for the sun that you made strong for yourself. They have burnt it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. So uh, the, 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 the psalmist here is, is, is giving this, using this illustration for the people of Israel, for the nation, that is like a vineyard. And then another passage would be Isaiah chapter 5. And this is very um, uh, familiar, very similar um, to the parable. But there are some differences that we will see. So Isaiah chapter 5, verse, we can read the verses uh, 1 to 7. It goes like this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of, of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do with my to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds, and they will rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold an outcry. So there uh, for Isaiah, He's again using this allusion, this picture, 
and here it's it's one of judgment and judgment on on the nation for for its apostasy its disobedience uh, and for for going away and so here the, the the prophet is lamenting the fact that the lord the lord of the vineyard the lord the the the, the god of israel has looked for fruit remember when we were looking at the fig tree uh, again here the the lord is looking for fruit looking for fruit of righteousness but he, he doesn't see it and it's a familiar pattern that we will uh, be, be thinking about very, very shortly it's a familiar pattern that goes on and on through the history of israel and there are other passages that in the old testament jeremiah uh, chapter 2 and verse 21 you might in, in your old time might look like to 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 look at that but please know in in the parable here that we have presented to us by by mark in chapter 12 here we we notice um again he he in, in verse as it verse verse one he mentions that uh, the owner had a hedge round the round the, the vineyard that there was a a vat for the wine that there was a watchtower built uh similar to what we see in in the isaiah passage and of course the hedge would demarcate the boundaries of the vineyard it would act as a kind of sort of protection and the watchtower would be manned presumably by by the caretakers of the vine dressers uh, so it'd be for protection and for observation and so if there were wild animals the the the, the, the caretakers the vine dressers would, would if they were doing the job they were in the watchtower they would see danger coming they would see harm coming to the uh, so forth, or they would see people coming, approaching uh, the, the vineyard. So we see these things. However, with Jesus' parable, it's not the vineyard that the spotlight is on. The spotlight is on the tenant farmers, on the vine dressers, not on the vine itself. They are in the spotlight, and it's what they do. Is what they are doing that is Jesus's concern in this parable and there are three things that we can kind of uh, um, identify that is taking place uh, in this this parable as we see the the owner the the rightful owner of the uh, as Jesus explains it uh, is sending his servants you see what what we see the vine dressers doing is they are in the sense refusing the the righteous and the just requirements of the owner as tenant farmers and jesus's listeners would, would, would have recognized this they would have related to this that an owner of a vineyard would lease out his vineyard and then he would as a, as a form of rent would just take a, a percentage of the harvest of the when 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 the grapes were ready to be harvested you would take just a, a small maybe a percentage as as rent so that that he was quite justified in in in, in requiring that uh, he is the owner after all but what we see these these uh, 
vine dressers doing is they refuse to do that. They refuse to comply. So that's the first kind of word I want you to think about, this refusal to comply, to obey. And so we see in verse 3, the first servant descends and is beaten. And it says that he sent away empty. And then the second time, verse 4, a servant descent. It's a bit, a, a bit more severe. They beat him. They throw stones at him. And the text say, tells us he was shamefully treated. Then a third time. And they kill the next servant, verse 5. And then it goes on to say, and many others beaten and others some killed. So we get the idea, it's not just one or two servants, it's, 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 it's many servants have been sent to these vine dressers, but all the time they are refusing to comply, they're refusing to obey and to, to provide fruit. So there's refusal, there's rebellion. And then it, what we're seeing then taking place is a re repetition, a repeat of that rebellion, of that refusal. So that's my second R, is, is firstly they refuse, now they, they, they repeat that refusal time and time again. There's a repetition of it. And then of course we get to verse 6. We get to verse 6. And this is, this is the final response from the, the owner. This is the last person that they, he sends. Be careful that the text makes that clear. Jesus is wanting to drive this home. At the last, the owner sends, and, and it, it says here, doesn't it? He's only, he's only beloved son. So his only son, who would be the heir, is sent to talk with them, to plead with them. And again, they refuse. And what do they do? Well, they conspire amongst themselves and say, well, let's, this is the, the hare, let's kill him, and we will take the inheritance. Well, the, the hare inheritance doesn't belong to them. It's not, it's not for them to inherit. They're just the tenant farmers, but they, they kill the son. So there is rejection. So they refuse. They repeat their refusal and their, their behavior, and they reject. They reject the owner. Then they reject, ultimately, the son that they send. In fact, they kill him. And then the text tells us that they not only kill him, but they put him out of the vineyard. And of course, this is, this is really what Jesus has been predicting all along as we've been going along in John Mark's gospel. You know, the, the three, remember going back the previous chapters when Jesus three times warns about his death and his resurrection. This is again Jesus, but this time he's, he's directly speaking to the religious leadership of Israel. This is the cream. This is the top brass. The people who are supposed to be leading the, the nation as spiritual leaders. 
and he's direct addressing them very directly and this is him speaking really ultimately about uh, how they're treating him what they're going to do to him and the fact that he's going to be arrested shamefully treated he's going to be mocked and scourged and taken out of the city as it were where he's going to die and that's what they're going to do to him and he's making this um setting this out in this this parable this is eight and seven and eight they reject the son and that's really quite a uh, uh, a drastic thing isn't it it's quite a uh, um, a terrible thing to sort of consider that these these men who are supposed to be men of righteousness and yet they have have rejected and they have kept on rejecting the son of righteousness who has come to them and this really this parable in a sense it's only a very short in a sense a short parable but it sums up the history of the people of God. It sums up the, the, the history of the nation of Israel in terms of their rebellion, in terms of their refusal to obey God and to seek his face and to offer what, he, what they, they, they're due to him and in terms of, of love and affection and service. They have refused and they have repeated that rebellion that refusal and ultimately they have rejected the lord they've rejected the lord's will they've rejected as we see here now the lord's son the lord's only beloved son so this this parable is really in a sense it's just a, a very quick summary of the, the history of israel in terms of their their apostasy and rebellion and that the repetition of that rebellion against God, their rejection of God. And we can see this in a sense played out in our own in our own world today, in nations that have called themselves Christian, such as uh, the United Kingdom. United Kingdom has a strong Christian tradition. It has had times when, when God has blessed this nation, when we think of the preaching of John Wesley and, and George Whitfield, we think of the, the, the great mission movements of people like William Carey uh, and others who, who went out in faith and took the gospel into the world. We think of the people who who, who established, right, in a sense, righteousness in the nation. I think of, of maybe a few weeks ago, we, I kind of mentioned the name George Muller there in the 19th century, uh, uh, often known as the, the robber of the cruel streets with his orphanages, a man who lived by faith, a man who uh, uh, um, affected and encouraged so many other people. And Charles Spurgeon, who really, in effect, turned London upside down in the 19th century. Uh, 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 when he went there as a young young man, he was very young, only 19. And uh, uh, what what an amazing ministry that 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 he led. God called that man to 
do so many great things and this is part of in a sense uh, our spiritual heritage in the nation but our nation is very far away uh, from uh, the, the the calling that God has put on this nation. We're very far away from that. Our, our national churches and churches um, are not really where they should be. We, we've kind of like uh, acted like the vine dressers, almost like saying, well, the, the church, well, the church is, is, our, is our playground. You know, we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. And, and, and we've seen so much compromise over the years with, with, with worldliness and with people uh, turning them back on, on godly principles. So that in a sense that we can make parallels with our own nation. And it's quite a, it's quite a challenge. That's really where, in a sense, where we, we were at. Our, our nation and, and other Western nations as well uh, are perhaps in this very dangerous place that they have um, uh, refused to give God the glory and the honor and the reverence that they should. And they have repeated that. And they have kind of, if you like, tried to um, uh, take the place of Jesus Christ. And there, there will be judgment uh, on, on, na on nations that, that do that. So that's, that's, that's a sobering thought that we have, like, like the vine dressers, you know, as a nation and as spiritual leadership, perhaps we have gone uh, astray. And we don't really see the reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ in our society as we used to. It's very easy now for people at the drop of a hat to use Christ's name in vain. One, one, one of the, uh, the, the uh, words that is used in some of the translations where, where, Jesus, where the, the owner of the vineyard says, I will send my son, they will respect him. Some actually use the word reverence. They will reverence my son. And that's, a, I think, it's a, a good word to use uh, but we've we've lost that in the nation haven't we we've lost it in our, our communities this sense of reverence for the lord jesus christ for his name there was a time when you know people even people who weren't church going or who would call themselves christian but there was a sense of fear of honoring the name of of, of christ but not anymore it's it's at the drop of the hat people feel that they can they can swear and disparage uh, things uh, uh, of a spiritual nature or disparage the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the most jokey way and that's that's um, really a, a terrible thing it should really grieve us that this is happening in our society well let's continue then uh, with the parable so Jesus is giving this parable. This parable is really about his audience. And as we see from verse 12, they know 
that he's speaking about them and that when he speaks about the vine dressers or the tenant farmers he speaks about that he's speaking about them he's addressing them and what they what they have done and what they're going to do and uh, they're not happy about it at all this is not a situation where jesus is giving a parable and, and people are kind of scratching their head and thinking well i don't quite know what jesus is is talking about and then you, you know the, the the disciples come privately and they're asking lord what 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 is the meaning of that parable it's you know here jesus gives this parable he's addressing probably a large number of people but there are the, the, the religious leaders there, they hear it and they know, they know that he's addressing them, that, that in this parable, he is talking about them. They would know the illusions, the, uh, the, the referencing back to the Old Testament, to those uh, uh, scriptures back in, in the Old Testament. And they, you know, um, they're not, they're not marveling. They're not marveling at all. They want to, to uh, uh, get hold of Jesus and they want to, to kill him. They want to get him out of the way. That's, that's the situation. So verses 9 and 10, Jesus asks two questions, two critical questions. So let's just think about those two questions. Verse 9, he then turns to them and he says, What will the owner of the vineyard do? What is the vineyard owner going to do? They have refused. They have repeated that refusal, that rebellion. They have rejected his son. They have killed his son. What now is the owner going to do? And of course, Jesus answers his question straight away. This is what he says. The owner will come and destroy the tenants. He will come and destroy the vineyard dresses and give the vineyard to others that's that's quite drastic uh, 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 things to say isn't it that's uh, uh, a very powerful statement it's touching raw nerves it's speaking of judgment it's very final and very clear and they know that he's addressing them and then they 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 Second question then, at verse 10, have you not read this scripture? Now, this would again would have grated on their ears. That would have really perhaps riled them up. Jesus saying this, well, have you not read? Have you not read this scripture? And the scripture he's referring to uh, is two verses in Psalm 118. Psalm 118 uh, is found in the final fifth book or fifth section of the book of Psalms. It is what's known as a Hillel uh, uh, Psalm of praise. And it's used at the time of Passover. And that's where, that's the times, time frame that we're in with here in the passage. This is the time of Passover. And Jesus is quoting this psalm, a psalm that even today in, in, in Passover meals, Jewish, Jewish families will sing this psalm. They will recite this psalm. This psalm is, 
is recited all over the world where there are Jewish people to this day. They will recite this Hillel psalm. So, you know, he, he's, 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 he's really touching a normal nerve. He's not picking out something that might be an obscure part of, of the Old Testament of the, of the, of the, the scriptures. He's bringing out something that would be really topical, that, that people, all the people there would have known because they would be reciting, they would be hearing those words at that time. And then Jesus is saying to them, oh, well, haven't you read? So that, that's, again, that's a, quite, quite a thing to, to say. And so let's, let's think about this, 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 uh, uh, this passage then in Psalm 118. Well, it is a messianic psalm. It's a mess- psalm that is um, referred to as a messianic psalm that's speaking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is quoting it. Now, I think some think that Moses wrote this psalm. And, and in a sense, Moses was like a stone that was rejected many times. If we go back and we look at Moses' experience with the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt and time and time again that they disobeyed God and they, they, they didn't do what Moses told them. In a sense, he was a rejected stone. And of course, David, King David, you could argue, was a rejected stone. He was rejected by by Saul uh, and by the leadership of Israel. Uh, but he eventually he becomes king. So in a sense, he became a, a cornerstone of the, the, the nation of Israel. But ultimately, ultimately, this is speaking about the Lord Jesus himself. This is speaking about the Lord because he is that precious cornerstone. He is that cornerstone that has been rejected, but will become the chief cornerstone. And if we look at uh, uh, Acts, you want to turn to it, you can, Acts chapter 4. And there are other passages we can go to 1 Peter, I think 1 Peter chapter two, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Peter again picks up on this and there are other passages that we can, we can touch on dealing with the cornerstone. But this is Peter in, in, in chapter 4 of Acts and uh, again he's, he's, he's a uh, addressing the religious leaders here. And uh, if I just read from uh, verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, remember they, they, they'd healed, they'd done a healing in the temple. If we this day had are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well. Let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This 
is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone nor this is verse 12 nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved isn't that wonderful and it's marvelous this is why jesus is marvelous because it is by no other name that we can be saved because he is that cornerstone rejected yes rejected by the builders of israel rejected by the leadership of israel by the people he was sent to rejected but now he's exalted he's now the chief cornerstone the author and finisher of our faith the king uh, uh, prophet and priest he is the corner stone so some concluding principles for us to take away uh, from this passage and there are many other passages uh, that uh, references that we could go to uh, such as the uh, passage in peter but that perhaps is for for another message another time uh, just some uh, concluding principles for us to to take away as we as we think about the lord jesus christ as as that, that wonderful savior and how all, all this the, the, the gospel is marvelous for us isn't it this this truth about the lord jesus christ is marvelous so some concluding principles and i've got three and then we'll uh, 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 pray so the first one i've got for us is recall the blessings of the lord so i'm using a lot of words beginning with our this this morning so these are doing the opposite of what the the wicked vine dressers are doing and the number one is recall the blessings recall recall the blessings of god to us and we can do that personally we can do that in, as, as a family in our families and we can do it as uh, as we think of ourselves as a, a fellowship as a church and as a nation recall the blessings of the lord because obviously that's that's what israel always failed to do failed to to really take hold of the blessings that they had they took everything for granted and when things were going well so often they would go off on a tangent and they'd go into idolatry and they would forget the, the the law that had blessed them given them so many benefits they'd gone off on some strange tangent uh, and that's what really jesus is alluding to in this parable so let us recall the blessings of the lord the good things that god has provided has done for us by sending us the lord jesus christ by providing salvation and redemption and all the, the 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 blessings that go along with that that we've had and that that we have let's recall and give thanks to the lord and as we recall you know let us let focus on on what is marvelous about the lord jesus christ he is indeed marvelous recall the blessings of the lord number two respect the son respect the son 
to recall no respect. Reverence the son. That's what we, we were called to do. That's why we worship. It's not why we, uh, we, 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 we take worship. We shouldn't take worship lightly. We should reverence the Son. We should reverence the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is. Because he is the chief cornerstone. He is the, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is the, 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 the head of the church. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And as uh, Matthew Henry was saying, right back there, if you, if you remember that quote from Matthew Henry that, that, that I, I, I read, I read to us, I can just, uh, just find it for us. And let me just maybe read that, that verse again. Christ's name is wonderful. And the redemption he wrought out is the most amazing of all God's works of wonder. It's what the angels desire to look into, and it will be admiring to eternity. Much more ought we to admire it, who owe our all to it without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. So let's... let's Seek to, to re re revere the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. To give him all the praise that is due his great and holy name. And when we hear people like Matthew Henry, that a man who, who uh, was probably one of the last Puritans, speak like that. He, he was a man who was just so taken up with the glory of Christ. Then we, we too should... Uh, uh, emulate these men in their in their uh, desire to worship and to give reverence and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us resolve to do that. And that's my final R uh, for us: is is resolve. Let's resolve to do these things. Let's resolve to serve the Son. Because he is, in a, in a sense, the son of the of the of the vineyard owner, and as his as his servants, we we owe him praise. We owe him obedience. We owe him service. And may we gladly do that. May we gladly seek to to be fruitful and to be obedient, not because we have to do it. Not because if we don't do it, we won't, we won't have salvation. It's because we have been saved. We have been born again. We ought to have that desire to serve him, to offer our lives to him. Well, may uh, those three uh, words be uh, an exhortation for us. And as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and this truth, that it is marvellous in our eyes. Amen. Well, I'm going to pray now, and then uh, we can come to our time of, of prayer. Let me just uh, pray for us. Loving Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your great word. We thank you for your word that speaks about the, the marvelousness, the, the, the glory and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we thank you for it. We, we thank you for your word that feeds us. And Lord, that uh, uh, you would indeed feed our souls this day and this coming week, and that we might not uh, uh, be lulled to sleep spiritually, but we might be roused by your words, but we might be aroused daily each, each day by your word, that we might be stirred up uh, more and more to fear your name, to honor and reverence your name, and to present ourselves and all that we have and all that we do as a sacrifice to you. And Lord, that you might indeed rule and uh, 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 dwell with us uh, until you call us home. Father, we, we pray that you would be uh, with us as we go into this week and that you would help us to be encouraged uh, uh, by uh, the wonder of who you are. Amen.